We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 129 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show for you guys. It is Alabama week. Gamecocks taking on the Crimson Tide Saturday afternoon. I'll give my thoughts on the game, including a full breakdown, storylines, key matchups to watch for, keys to the game, and my prediction. Also, your listener questions and voicemails, as always. And a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks offensive lineman, Deshaun Goddard. We talk about his career at USC, being a coach now, beating Ohio State, beating Alabama as well, and much, much more in that interview. Before we get into all of that, this is a podcast presented to you by our friends over at Tanny Hills Group Therapy. Yes, Tanny Hills Group Therapy, the oldest bar in five points owned by legendary USC quarterback Steve Tannehill. They have got great specials for you guys, including Taco Tuesday, Wing Wednesday. They're perfect if you're a local here in Columbia and want to grab a bite to eat. Or if you're in town for game day or if you want a fun night out in the town, they're great to go out as well. Tanny Hills is the way to go. Again, that's Tanny Hills Group Therapy located down in Five Points. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show Center. I'm your host, Chris Phillips. Appreciate you guys tuning in. It's Alabama week. Gamecocks taking on Alabama on Saturday, 3.30 kick on CBS. I know everybody's really fired up for it. Going to be a big-time weekend. Going to be lit. The tailgates are going to be crazy. And hopefully our team can show up and shock the world, get the W on Saturday. Before I get into all everything with the Alabama game, want to go over some housekeeping items as I generally do at the beginning of the show. First thing I want to say is I want to issue an apology to you guys because there were supposed to be two live shows this week and both canceled. So um, you can imagine how thrilled I was about that. Cody Gibson had things come up. He couldn't do the show Tuesday night. Literally let me know day of, which it is what it is, but obviously that sucked. And then Wednesday night was planning, had been planning for a couple months, the live show with Steven Garcia uh, from Village Idiot, and that did not happen. He had a speaking engagement with the Kershaw County Gamecock Club, which completely fine, but I just wanted to let you guys know what happened. I do apologize. There will be live shows, more so to come. I appreciate those that reached out and cared enough to you know, wonder what was going on. Um, but, yeah, I just want to say my apologies. Again, it was kind of things really out of my control, so there's not much I can do. I can't make people show up or make people have the time or allocate the time to do the show. Um, also, if you have not seen Behind the Beak, Episode 3, Charleston Southern Weekend dropped uh, late Wednesday night, around 8.30 or so Wednesday night, go check out the vlog. Hell, you might be in it. Um, 
was absolutely awesome, fantastic. I love the vlog. I really do. I'm excited for the potential of it because it's one of those things, again, I, it's kind of like how I talked about the Twitch content where it's like, I, it's such a genuine form of content where I really just get to let loose and be me and interact with fans. And it's really, really cool, man. It kind of highlight and showcase what we're all about at South Carolina. So behind the beak episode three, Charleston Southern weekend, it is freaking lit. It's on YouTube, on our YouTube page, the Spurs up show, obviously, but it's on Instagram, every other social media, go check out behind the beak episode three. Again, you actually might be in the vlog. So you might want to go look at that. Um, also, like I ask you guys, I know I ask a ton, but if you could do me a favor, if you haven't done so yet, pause this podcast right now, go to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you're listening, leave a review, leave five stars for the Spurs Up show. It helps people that don't know about the show find us. Um, if you have any feedback, anything you want to say, obviously you can do it there as well. I appreciate all the feedback, but uh, yeah, go leave a review if you don't mind. It would, it would mean a lot to me, obviously, and again, helps boost up the show for those people that maybe are unfamiliar with the Spurs Up show. It helps them find us so appreciate you guys doing that for me also one last thing I want to talk about and uh we're going to get a little deep here um I want to be the example or I want to be the guy maybe given the PSA because I'll be honest with you guys Wednesday morning I was in a not a great place mentally um there's obviously if you haven't seen you know there's been a lot of negativity on Twitter a lot of toxic negativity and I'll be honest with you Wednesday morning, I don't know if you guys noticed on Wednesday, but my, the first piece of content didn't come out till about 1130 or 12. And, you know, just long story short, I mean, I woke up in a place Wednesday, not, not great mentally. Um, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot, just a lot of, I don't mind people hating my takes or hating on my football takes or whatever my opinions, but the hate got to a place and has gotten to a place where it's really, really personal. And listen, I can handle it, but it just put me in a bad place mentally Wednesday morning. And, you know, one of the great things is, you know, I'm able to do these player interviews and Nashawn Goddard, obviously our guest today was a great interview and it came at the perfect time because, you know, I woke up Wednesday morning just wanting to get away from the Spurs up show as crazy as that sounds. I mean, and that was probably the first time I've ever felt that way because I'm just so sick of the hate. You know what I mean? Like the, like I said, the personal hate. I mean, I just never expected that. Um, so it, it came at this perfect timing though, with the interview, because talking to Sean Goddard, doing the interview, finishing up, and it was really a reminder of why, why I do what I do and why I love doing it. Just one of the reasons. Um, and it really kind of reset me mentally. So I'm not going to be on Twitter quite as much on my personal account. Obviously, again, I mean, I'm going to be posting and all that stuff, but this can be a little PSA to you guys. Like let's spread positivity. I mean, again, a, a take is a take. If I say South Carolina is going to lose by 40 points this weekend, that's not me being negative. It's just a take. It can be wrong. It can be right. It can be indifferent. But spread some positivity on social media, man. There's enough hate and negativity and just people that want to just see other people fall for whatever reason and just have a true distaste for others for whatever reason. Spread some positivity on social media, man. That, that's really what I'm going to start try to start doing more of. And uh, I'm going to be consuming a lot less on Twitter. Um, you know, I, I just think for me and my mental headspace, it's just not healthy for me to sit there and read terrible things about me or things that people think about me. Um, and, you know, those people shouldn't have any type of power like that. And so, I mean, again, I'm just saying this for if there's anybody else out there that like, that's kind of, you're going through the same thing, man, just spread positivity, just be positive and 
you know, cause again, for me, I mean, I was, I was in a bad place Wednesday morning. I'm not going to lie to you. And thankfully I was able to get out of that rut and, you know, just realize, keep perspective and realize how blessed I am and fortunate I am and how thankful I am that, that, you know, there are people listening to this podcast or consuming my content. I, I appreciate the hell out of you guys, but uh, just let it be a PSA, man. Just spread positivity. Don't consume the negativity. Really watch. This is what I'm going to be doing too. watch and make sure the content you're consuming is positive and it's constructive for you and it fuels what you're trying to do and the person you're trying to be because you know there are people on social media that are just miserable and they anyone that's trying to do anything or achieve anything or go after a dream or go after something they have a they have a necessity to try to tear them down because they're they're insecure and feel a certain way about the way they do things or they're mad it's not them or anything like that so um i'm going to continue to be me i'm not changing um, but I wanted to just be honest and straight up with you guys and let you guys know that, you know, just kind of what happened. And I'm in, a, I'm in a good place now. You can probably hear it in my voice. I'm excited as hell for this podcast. Um, one other thing I do want to say, too, getting off of that. Again, spread positivity, my PSA. That's my TED Talk. Um, I want to apologize for Monday's show because I aired a voicemail that there was a lot of cursing in it. People were asking me, like, what the hell, man? I was at work. Like, you listen to all the, the voicemails beforehand. I actually didn't listen to like two or three last week. I just assumed like, hey, people have good voicemails, no big deal, whatever. So I just want to say that's my bad. Um, I keep this show as PG, <clears throat> as PG as I can, obviously, because um, I want everyone to listen. I don't want to cut off any listeners by dropping an F-bomb every other sentence. So I just want to tell you guys, that's my bad. I'm going to make sure that doesn't happen again. I've listened to all the voicemails for this week. Just wanted to let you know, though, again, some of you probably don't even care and it's not a big deal, but for the couple of people that did reach out, I want to say my apologies. I appreciate you reaching out and my apologies and it won't happen again. So uh, let's get into the Alabama game. <laughs> that, was a, that was a mouthful there with the housekeeping. Eyes. Let's get in the Alabama game though. Gamecocks tied 330 kick CBS at Williams-Brice Stadium. Alabama right now, as you guys probably saw in the best bet, a 25-point favorite over-under set at 62, which the over-under has actually gone up because I think it opened up at 59 and a half. So over-under at 62 right now. Um, series history, Bama leads the series 10-4, and four, but the last time they met, we all remember, we all remember the Gamecocks beating down the Crimson Tide 2010. Steven Garcia, Marcus Lattimore, Alshon Jeffrey, that legendary team, the first ever win over a number one ranked team was just one of the, one of the most infamous days in Gamecocks sports history, in my opinion. Um, so it's funny, actually, this, this, you know, since 2000, Gamecocks have won three of the last four meetings. They won in 2001, 2004, and 2010, and lost that 2009 game in Tuscaloosa. But, uh, yeah, Gamecocks will be looking to kind of get some of the same magic and do it again. As far as the injury report is concerned, um, it looks like, and this isn't really confirmed, it will be probably Thursday afternoon with Will Muschamp, but Randrikas Davis, Brad Johnson, Deshaun Fenwick, and Keir Thomas are looking like the four guys that will be out. Um <laughs> The Keir Thomas injury. It's feeling a lot like the DJ Wanham injury last year where Muschamp said, oh, he'll be fine. Give it a week. Give it a week. Because Keir Thomas was supposed to be back. And I feel like this is going to turn to a situation where Keir Thomas is probably out like half the year and we just – that injury just got downplayed all offseason. So, anyways, um, Gamecocks are pretty healthy. I mean, pretty healthy either way even with those injuries. But, obviously, head coach Nick Saban, uh, the Tide are 2-0 and this year. They beat Duke 42-3 to in week one. Murray State 62-10. to Very similar to the Gamecocks. Had kind of a warm-up game last week. So, Bama, number two in the country, 2-0 and overall. Let's get into the storylines for this one. Obviously, the first one that, that sticks out to me is the David versus Goliath aspect of this game. 
Um, there are not a lot of people, if any, picking South Carolina to win this football game. Uh, we obviously know what happened in 2010. Uh, but this is very much a David versus Goliath scenario where the Gamecocks are going to be looking to play spoiler, to pull a massive upset again. It's not very often a team that's an underdog, underdog by almost four touchdowns pulls out the victory. Um, so how does South Carolina approach this one mentally? I'll just be very curious to see the Gamecocks approach in this game. Um, you know, the mentality, where is it at? Obviously, you're coming in with a true freshman quarterback and Ryan Holinsky, keeping him upright is going to be, you know, pivotal in this football game. Um, you know, it, it's obviously going to be our first time to see Ryan Holinsky on the big stage against an opponent, the caliber of an Alabama. Um, but I'm just very curious to see this team's mindset. You know what I mean? Because obviously we can have our takes and opinions and thoughts on the game. And I know this team is not approaching this game as well. You know, hopefully we just lose by 14. And that'd be a really good game. Like, no, they're going in this game to win the football game. Um, but I really, I really need to see a team ready to play. Obviously you guys know, everything I've said about Will Muschamp, and, yeah, I'm, I'm still on – you know, you guys know, I, I'm not very high on the staff right now. I'll just put it that way. But uh, we need to see a team come out ready to compete and play for four quarters and give Alabama hell. Just give it all it can handle. I mean, even if the Gamecocks lose by 21, even if they lose by 17, can, do we see a team that looks like it's prepared to play on this stage against this caliber of competition, or is it the same old story – you know, the same old thing where it looks like our team's not ready to go. We're blown off the football. We're blown off the field. Kind of similar to what we saw. Well, I wouldn't say, I guess, Georgia last year because we actually played decent that first half. But what's the mindset and the mentality of this football team? I'll be very, very interested to see that. Hopefully they can feed off the crowd because I expect a packed house, a loud, raucous environment at Williams-Brice Stadium, no doubt. Um, again, I kind of already touched on it, but another big storyline, Ryan Helinski. I mean, what does he do? You know what I mean? His first – game action against an opponent, an SEC opponent, an opponent like Alabama. Um, we know the struggles that Jake Bentley and this South Carolina team had in these big games under the lights or just these big-time matchups. I mean, can Ryan Holinsky be that guy? I mean, is he a legend in the making? Is he going to write his legacy starting on Saturday? You know what I mean? So how does Ryan Holinsky perform? Obviously, he's going to need help. He's going to need to stay upright. He's going to need a running game to assist him because – I mean, it obviously, I'll be honest with you guys, it scares me. Nick Saban against a true freshman quarterback, that's never a situation that you want to be in. But Ryan Holinsky, he's that dude. He's QB1. Jake Bentley's out for the year, confirmed. This is Ryan Holinsky's team. What type of performance does he have? Because, again, Charleston Southern was Charleston Southern. Just throw it out the window. It is what it is. But, you know, he checked all the boxes, did everything he needed to do against Charleston Southern in his debut. But what type of performance does South Carolina get out of Holinsky on Saturday? I, I'm – like I said last week, and I'll say the same for this weekend, I'm more so curious to see his composure, see his, you know, see his demeanor. You know, is, this, is the spotlight too big for him? Is it not? You know what I mean? How does he handle all of those, those different factors? Um, because he's got the talent, no question. And I, I don't know how much of the playbook they're really opening up with him. I mean, he's a smart kid, and he's been there since the springs. So I'd imagine a good amount. But uh, – I'm just very curious what we're going to get out of Ryan Holinsky and, again, his first game against the elite competition. Um, another storyline, the Saban versus Muschamp dynamic. This is a really interesting one because no former Saban assistant has beaten him. Um, so, Will Muschamp trying to become the first. Um, and this, this, this was actually one of my key matchups, not to spoil it, but 
this is a very interesting one to me because, listen, I think the camaraderie or the, the, the knowns between staffs is maybe a little bit overplayed. At least Will Muschamp said that as his, at his presser. But I think it's a scenario in which – here's the thing with you guys and why I picked South Carolina plus 25. I don't think Nick Saban is going to try and embarrass Will Muschamp. Like, I don't think – he normally does not do that to former assistants. Like, there's a mutual respect between these coaches. Um, so, I don't think he will, but obviously it's a storyline to watch. Does it really mean anything for the actual game? I highly doubt it because um, I don't think anybody's going in this game expecting Will Muschamp to outcoach Nick Saban. I mean, no offense, but – Actually, offense. It's not going to happen. Um, the line of scrimmage, another big storyline. Gamecocks, that 2010 win, first time I'm actually citing it. But, you know, for South Carolina to win this game, and one thing they did in that upset win in 2010 and what they have to do here, the Gamecocks have got to – I'm not even going to say win at the line of scrimmage. They've got to hold their own. They've just got to hold their own. Um, you know, South Carolina, you know, has to try to run the football. Period. I, I mean, I know – I don't expect South Carolina to have really hardly any success running the ball. Obviously, nothing like last week. But you've got to try and stick to it because asking Ryan Linsky to step back there and throw it 40, 50 times, that's a death sentence. That's a complete – and that's how the game gets away from you. So, Gamecocks, I mean, one of their big greatest defenses is going to be their offense. Can you keep Bama and Tua and Jerry Judy off the field and have long, sustaining drives. Even if you just get a field goal. Hell, even if you don't even get points. Can you just have a drive that eats up minutes, that keeps Bama on the sidelines? Gamecocks need to hold their own at the line of scrimmage for the run game. They need to protect Ryan Holinsky because his only shot at having a big game on Saturday is to be upright, obviously. And, uh, you know, this Bama defensive line, I and mean, this Bama defense, what can you say, man? This, this team reloads. They've got five stars at every position. Um, I mean, the Bama defensive line is going to be a different animal. Um, so they need to hold their own in the pass blocking as well. And then on the defensive side, I mean, a guy like Javon Kinlaw, here's your stage, bro. Here's your stage to shine. Here's your stage. I want to see a guy like Javon Kinlaw burst out and have a great game on a national scene, right? Like you need to see these, you know, uh, Will Muschamp talked in the offseason about all the seniors in the front seven. Gamecocks have got to hold their own in the line of scrimmage. Find a way to get to Tua. Find a way to fill running lanes. Because, I mean, Bama's going to be Bama. Like, they like to throw it around. And, you know, two is a fantastic quarterback. But at the end of the day, Bama wants to run the football. Like, and if you can get Bama in third and eights instead of third and twos and get into predictable passing situations, at least at that point you have a chance to make the stop. Because you're not going to make a living on third and one all day against Alabama. You're just not. They're too good. They're too big up front. They're too physical at the point of attack. You're not going to make a living doing that. Um, so to me, I mean, again, every football game you could say this about, but especially this weekend, if South Carolina has any aspirations of pulling the upset, got to hold your own at the line of scrimmage. Absolutely have to. Another storyline for me personally, the defensive backs. What do we see out of the Gamecocks secondary this week in Taliban? Because this is going to be their most stern test probably of the season with these, this crop of receivers that Alabama has. You know, people wanted to get so fired up and mad at me on Saturday last week for saying that I thought Jerry Judy would roast our secondary. And it, it wasn't it wasn't talking crap. I mean, it was just some of the things I saw in the Charleston Southern game made me very worried about what Jerry Judy is going to do to our secondary. So I don't know why people took it so personally. But, like, you know, we heard all this hype and talk in the offseason about how great the one-two punch of J.C. Horn, Israel McQuamu is, this and that, the best one-two in college football. Dude, 
we need to see somebody step up and do it Saturday. Like, I'm tired of hearing that talk about it. JC, JC does not even have a pick yet. Like, what trash can you talk? Izzy got burned on multiple occasions Saturday against Charles and Southern. Hell, his pick wouldn't have happened if he was playing – if we were playing a team with a decent quarterback who could throw the football and lead a receiver. The only reason he picked that ball off is because the ball was severely underthrown. Izzy uses athleticism, granted, to catch up and pick the football off. I'm not trying to take away from these guys on any scale or anything like that, but, like, we need to see these guys step up on the big stage against this elite competition because this is going to be a major – major test for our secondary going to be a major test because again Alabama they want to run the football but they will absolutely throw it all over you I mean Tua is you know a Heisman contender you know Jerry Judy hell he could probably be a Heisman contender as well and I mean they've got other guys and I'm not even naming off they go one through five deep no question they go one through five and probably pass that like I said they got five stars everywhere Bama reloads they don't you know they don't reset they reload so I mean how does this secondary fare? I mean, you've got to be able to hold. And, again, it's going to come down to a lot what I just talked about, the line of scrimmage. You're going to have to get some sort of pressure on Tua to make him make some bad decisions. But the Gamecocks secondary needs to have its best game. I mean, it needs to play its best game or we're going to be seeing a lot of long touchdowns in this football game for Alabama. Um, final storyline for me, it's kind of interesting, but what defines success in this game for Gamecock fans? You know, I've seen a lot of the optimism, people picking the upset, picking South Carolina to win, yada, 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 you know, whatever. I mean, listen, being realistic, I don't have South Carolina winning this game. But what do we need to see? This reminds me a lot of Clemson last year when I talked about the things we needed to see in this football game. I, this is what I'm looking for. I'll be honest with you. Again, I'm, I don't think South Carolina's going to win. I'm not picking a win. You guys are going to hear my prediction in just a second. But I don't, I don't think South Carolina's going to win. The things I'm looking for in this game, I'm looking for a team that looks prepared to play, that has the right mentality, the right mindset, is ready to play its best game, okay? I also want to see a team that plays a complete football game, just plays a complete game from start to finish for four quarters. Because, listen, I think South – and I also want to see a team, and this kind of goes back to the mindset thing, but a team that is ready for that big moment. Like a team – you know, you lost Jake Bentley. That sucks. But this team is still very veteran heavy, especially on the offensive side. Like, I want to see a team, again, that the, the mentality is there, ready to play, that can handle this spotlight and it is embracing the moment, if you will. Um, but what defines success in this game? I mean, listen, I, I, I'll be honest with you guys. I think if the Gamecocks went out, played their best game, lost by 14, massive success. Because my biggest knock on Will Muschamp and the reason I went off so bad about UNC is because we saw a team that didn't look ready to play, didn't look ready to win. We saw a team that looked just flat out unprepared. Like, you can start to win back a lot of the fan base this week if you just give Alabama fits. You don't have to win the game. But just make Alabama sweat. That's all you have to do. You know, protect your home field, man. I mean – Going out and getting blown out by 40 points on your home field is just not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. Again, I know Bama's a huge favorite. They should be. They should be a huge favorite. I mean, South Carolina fans that are, you know, hyped up about the Charleston Southern game, I get it, man. That was a fun game. This is still the same team that lost in North Carolina. That's what I keep reminding myself of. So, we need to see a team that has the right mindset, that can play a complete game, and, again, can give Bama fits can at least make them sweat a little bit. I'm not saying win the football game, 
but make Alabama sweat just a little bit. Uh, let's get into the key matchups to watch here. I talked about these on the Daily Crow, obviously, but going to go back over them. I have three key matchups to watch I think are going to go a long way in determining this football game and are just going to be very intriguing to keep an eye on. Uh, my first one's defensive back J.C. Horn against wide receiver Jerry Judy. Yeah, I think you guys probably could have saw that coming. Listen, love J.C. J.C.'s a baller. He's a beast. But enough with the talk. Enough with the hype. We need to see – I need to see J.C. go toe-to-toe, one of the best in the country, if not the best, and play his best game. I need to see J.C. win this matchup. I need to see J.C. get a pick. I know it's not all his fault. Teams are not targeting his side as much because he is a top-of-the-line defensive back. But big-time players make big-time plays in big-time games. And this is a big-time game. Is J.C. Horn a big-time player? We'll see. I'd love to see him get his first pick of his career this weekend. But from what I saw against, from the secondary these first two games, I'm a little nervous that a guy like Jerry Judy might have his yards. So you got to be able to stop him. Bama's got so many other weapons, but you've at least got to take Jerry Judy as much as you can out of the football game. Uh, my second key matchup, offensive lineman Sidarius Hutcherson against linebacker Anthony Jennings. Like I said, Bama is so freaking good on the defensive side. Uh, really, you could have put anybody here on the offensive line. I mean, you could have put Donnell Stanley, Hutcherson, uh, you know, Eric Douglas, Gwynn, you know, Dylan Juan. I don't care who it is. But the Gamecocks, like I mentioned, have got to play well in the line of scrimmage. They've got to at least hold their own. Gamecocks need to establish the running game. For one, just you need to establish the run to play well. And two, you need to take some of the pressure off Alinsky. So a guy like Sidarius Hutchinson, who's going to be playing the guard position, he's going to be pulling a lot. He's obviously just going to be in the interior of the Gamecocks offensive line. He needs to have a good day. And a guy like Anthony Jennings can be a nightmare making plays. He's already off to a good start this season. I think he's got like 12 tackles, a, a sack, a tackle for loss. Like, I mean, and here's the thing, too. You probably could have picked any Alabama defender or defensive line, but Anthony Jennings obviously is one of the best in the SEC at linebacker. So I think this will just be a huge matchup in the sense of I me. Mean, it's going to be hard for the Gamecocks to do anything offensively if they cannot at least pose a threat of running the football. Um, and then my final key matchup to watch, head coach Will Muschamp against head coach Nick Saban. I mean, Muschamp versus Saban, man. I mean, it, it's – again, is, am I overplaying it a little bit because the players on the field are going to turn this football game? Yes. But, again, no assistant has ever beaten – no former Saban assistant has ever beaten him. Could this be the first? Can this be the game – that Will Muschamp gets someone like me at least creeping back to his side. He needs to re-earn the trust with the fan base, right? Like, re-earn the trust that this thing's headed in the right direction, even with a true freshman quarterback. Because I think what's going to happen is, you know, what's going to happen is when you, make, when you made the change, and obviously it was forced because Bentley got hurt, but if South Carolina goes out on Saturday and puts up a good fight, loses by 10 points, let's say, I think a lot of people are going to more so say, you know what, it was just Jake Bentley. That's what it was. It wasn't Muschamp, it was Jake Bentley. I think a lot of people are going to turn to that. They're going to revert to that excuse or whatever, however you want to call it. I don't know if excuse is the right word, but um, the Muschamp versus Saban thing, again, being a former assistant, none, none of it ever beat him. I just think it's kind of intriguing how these two guys know each other very, very well. What factor does that play into the game? Again, I have no idea, but I think it's an intriguing matchup nonetheless. Um, my keys to the game, I've got three keys to the game here. My first key to the game for South Carolina to get a massive upset on Saturday, avoid the big play. Defensively, 
limit the big play, stop the big play, avoid it at all costs. The, you know, South Carolina's defense is going to have to play its best game on Saturday. Listen, Bama's going to get theirs. Bama's just too damn good. They're going to get theirs. Avoid the big play, though. This is where a matchup like J.C. against Jerry Judy plays so big here. This thing can get out of hand if you're starting to see Jerry Judy streak down the field for an 80-yard touchdown or, you know, reeling off big runs, and then you start to beat down the morale and the mentality of this team, and then it goes sideways on you real quick. Gamecocks need to contain everything. Um, like I said, avoid the big play. Make sure to limit that. Keep yourself in the ballgame. Yeah, again, you're just – it's going to be a long – long day if two is throwing it deep all day and they're just reeling off these big runs Gamecocks need to tackle really well Saturday they need to tackle really really well so avoid the big play that's my first key to the game second key to the game win the line of scrimmage I already talked about it man it's a line of scrimmage game every single week but especially this week when you're playing a team like Alabama you've got to whip that man in front of you both offensively and defensively Gamecocks have got to have their best game on the line, especially defensively. I, I, I really feel like after the changes on the offensive line, moving Stanley back to center, I think this offensive line can hold up. I'm not – again, I don't expect us to be able to run the football really, really well. But this, uh, this line should hold up, you know, I think offensively. The defensive line to me is the one where it's like, dude, for us to have a chance in this game, we got to play well defensively. Have to. Absolutely have to. And it starts up front with, again, a guy like Javon Kinlaw. Big-time players make big-time plays in big-time games. Is Javon Kinlaw going to be a big-time player? Is he going to make a big-time play? We'll have to see. But this, when, when, when great players play elite competition, this is when they, they rise to the occasion. Remember that 2010 team? Those guys rose to the occasion. And it got sideways on Alabama really quick. So – you know, win at the line of scrimmage. I said, hell, just hold your own. I mean, are you going to beat Alabama every play on the line of scrimmage? Hell no. They're too good. But at least hold your own and possibly win at the line of scrimmage. You can't get blown – you can't get the doors blown off at the, at the point of attack. You do, you have no chance. And then my final key to the game, which I kind of said this one too, but embrace the moment. I need to see a team – don't shy away from the national spotlight. Don't shy away from this game from the hype around this game, the excitement going into this game, the mentality. You're going to know early on, too. You're going to know and you're going to see it in South Carolina. Is this a team that even mentally believes it belongs on the, same, on the field with Alabama? Or is this a team that looks unprepared, is scared of the moment, or uh, is tight? Are they nervous? Things like embrace the moment. Take it all in. This is why you come to a school like South Carolina, Bama – it's why you come play SEC football. You want to be in these games. You want to take down the number two team in the country. You want to have the opportunity. We said before the season even started, South Carolina's got a bunch of opportunities. What they do with them, I don't know. But you've, if nothing else, I don't care what the spread is. I don't care what the, the experts, quote, unquote, say. I don't care what I say. This is what I tell the team. Who gives a damn about any of the outside noise? You go out there, you line up, you give them hell for 60 minutes. Play for the guy next to you. Play for your teammates, your brothers. And let the – hey, the ball is oblong, right? Sometimes the ball bounces your way. Give – hey, give fate a chance. Give – what was it, Spurrier said that, I think? I don't know, but give fate a chance, guys. That's what I would say to this team. But go out there and play hard as hell for 60 minutes. 
beat that man across from you. Go, I mean, have the right attitude, mentality. Leave it all in the field. Embrace the moment, man. Take it all in. Again, this is why you come to South Carolina to play in a national TV, CBS game, to have this, have this spotlight and this platform to showcase your talents and why you're being slept on. So embrace the moment. Again, my key is the game. Avoid the big play, win the line of scrimmage, and embrace the moment. Prediction time. <laughs> How do I think this one's going to go? So, listen, man, and I'm going to preface it. I think a lot of you will be mad at me for saying this, but this is the honest truth. Um, already said on the Daily Crow, I think Gamecocks cover plus 25, so that's a positive. But I'm going this one very realistic. A true freshman quarterback against a Nick Saban defense is not a recipe for winning. And we don't have a good enough running game to take all the pressure off of him. Ryan's going to throw it 30 times. There's no question. He's going to have to. Going to have to throw it 30 times. He's going to make a freshman mistake. He might make more than one. And Bama, man, is just too good. They're too good in the line of scrimmage. They're too good all over the field. The wide receiver, obviously Tua, defensive backs, front seven, everything. It's, it's a mismatch. I told you guys before the season, hell, when I do in my, my predictions, this is before we lost to UNC, that this game probably scared me the most because, you know, people are sleeping on Bama because of what Clemson do, did to them in the national championship. And it's funny to say they're being slept on with the number two team in the country. But I almost feel like people are taking them lightly a little bit. I think Bama's a beast. I think Bama's arguably the best team in the country. I mean, they, they look the part right now. I've got Bama getting the win, and I think it's big. I think Bama wins this one 41 to 17. Again, I would love, I would love nothing more than to eat crow and be wrong. I would love, I, I told, I said this on Instagram Live. If South Carolina beats Alabama, I will get some sort of something tattooed on me. Maybe the Spurs Up Show logo or something, or like the Spurs Up Show logo with the final score underneath it. I mean, bro, I, I'm – I mean, seriously. So – but I know the comparison – you know, everybody's trying to link the two, the 2010 Bama game and the 2019 Bama game, and could lightning strike twice. Just to be blunt with you guys, Steven Garcia, Marcus Lattimore, Alshon Jeffrey, Melvin Ingram, DJ Swearinger, Stephon Gilmore, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Them dudes ain't walking through the door, man. Them dudes are not running out to 2001. So, you know, this is, this is what we got right now. Again, I, I – until I see a South Carolina team really show up on a big stage and play its best football and give a team like Alabama fits, I can't pick that to happen. Especially, again, with a freshman quarterback, it's a mismatch in my opinion. Alabama gets the win 41-17 to over South Carolina, which, I mean, I'll just say, would be a massive, massive disappointment. Because, hell, even with the freshman quarterback, even with the freshman quarterback, like, we need to see some sort of progress. Like I mentioned, I mean, this is a game where you have the opportunity to win back some of the fan base by just having a decent showing against Alabama. So, you know, we will see. But uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not as optimistic as some, unfortunately. Like I said, I, I've got Bama winning this one 41 17. Let's get into your questions. I'll start with the voicemails. Appreciate you guys calling in. Again, I listen to all these beforehand, so no need to cover your ears or anything. Um, let's see. Yeah, we'll get into these voicemails. All right. Perfect. All right, cool. Let's, let's get into our first voicemail here. Okay. We saw what this new team can do to Charleston Southern, which, frankly, 
That's great. We we would expect that. However, here comes Alabama. Now, we all know it's going to be a long shot. But if we were to win, do you feel like it's more likely that we will win by a last-second field goal or are we going to win by a blowout? Just shocking the pants off of Alabama. Who knows? I don't know. I can't make the pick. Well, I hope to see it, of course. But I just want to hear your thoughts. First up. All right, appreciate the voicemail, man. Um, is it more likely that South Carolina wins via a blowout or a last-second field goal if they were to pull the monumental upset? It's a really intriguing question because I think a lot of people are, again, going back to that 2010 game and are saying, you know, <clears throat> the way we're going to beat them is come out like that again. Like, just kind of take them by surprise and there you go. Um, me, like, there's just no way I can say we'd blow out Bama. There's just no way. I mean, there's just – if we – if South Carolina wins this football game, it will come down to the wire last second field goal. No question. I mean, I just don't – South Carolina just doesn't have the talent to blow out a team like Alabama. Hell, they, I don't think they even got the talent to win. But, you know, that's no, neither here nor there. But, uh, no, I mean, the, the here's the thing. The recipe for this upset – let me give you guys the recipe. I mean, one, again, like I talked about the keys to the game. But as South Carolina, you've got to be able to run the football. Like, you have to. There are no ifs, ands, or buts. You have to be able to run the football to some degree. Because the way South Carolina is going to pull this upset, you've got to slow the game down and keep, play keep away, basically. You've got to play keep away from Bama and Tua. You have to. That, that, that's your biggest thing. To, just to make this a fourth-quarter game, limit the opportunities that Bama has to score. In my opinion, that's probably the biggest thing for me. So, if you do that again, it's going to be a very long, drawn-out game with South Carolina killing clock and it getting late and South Carolina being in the football game. So, I'm saying last-second field goal will be more likely if it were to happen. Hey, what's going on, guys? My name is Carter, and I just had a question for the upcoming football game versus Alabama. Um, Back in 2010, I actually attended the game where we won 35 to 21. So I see myself as a good luck charm. So I will be attending the Saturday's ball game as well. And I've got a question: uh, Do you see any um, any similarities between the 2010 team um, to this year's team? And if so, how are we going to be able to use that to our advantage and and keep this uh, Saturday's football game close? If not, have a chance to win it. Love you guys. Go Gamecocks. Carter, appreciate the voicemail, my guy. I, I don't. I, I really don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't see any similarities, man, because, again, like, I don't know if people have forgotten how good that team was. I mean, again, Steven Garcia. I mean, you're talking about legends at USC. I mean, you're talking about the most legendary dudes, NFL guys all over the field on defense. I, do I, I just – I don't draw – I don't see any comparison between those two teams. I hate to say that to burst your bubble, man, but I, I just don't. I mean, I, I just talked about what South Carolina has to do. Hopefully you are a good luck charm. Here's one thing that will scare you. I wasn't at the 2010 game, and now I'm going to this one, so I don't know if I should have just said screw it and stayed home. But, uh, um, no, nah, I mean, I, I don't see any comparisons. I, I, I don't think this team, again, those guys that I mentioned from that 2010 team, they ain't walking through the door, man. We're going to have to win it with these guys we got on the field. So, and Steve Spurrier ain't walking through that door neither. So, we got to win it with this crop of dudes we got, which who knows, but you got to go do it. Hey, how's it going? Sean here. I just wanted to call in and uh, 
basically get my thoughts on the game coming up this weekend. Uh, you know, I'm really was excited by uh, Westall from uh, Ryan uh, Alinsky and Dak Joyner both this weekend against Charleston Southern. And, um, you know, I think the coaching staff obviously has their hands full trying to figure out what to do to beat such a top team like Alabama. But uh, I would definitely like to see Dak Joyner, even though he's not going to be getting the start featured uh, somehow in the game, just kind of like the way he was against uh, North Carolina and Charleston Southern. But uh, I am, like, worried about, like, whether or not playing both quarterbacks would be bad for, you know, okay, if one of them gets hurt, then all of a sudden we are really, like, short-handed on quarterbacks for, like, the rest of the season. So I kind of wanted to get your take on, like, whether or not you thought, you know, we, we needed to be careful about how we use Dak Joyner because he is so dynamic and what you could do with him. So that's really all I want to talk about. Also wanted to thank Jake Bentley for everything he's done. It's tough to criticize the college quarterback. Uh, I, I did last week. But, um, you know, it's tough to see him out there on a scooter and everything. But I know he's a great player, so... Just want to thank him once again. And, uh, yep, go Cox. All right, appreciate the voicemail, man. Um, so, a lot of good points. I want to address the one thing you said, though, about should they be wary of using two quarterbacks because of the possibility of injury. I mean, listen, man, you've you got to play the guys you got. you got to play the guys to give you the best chance to win. And, listen, injury is part of the game of football. I mean, you can't play scared and you can't play fearing injury. And I definitely hear where you're coming from. But you got to play the guys you got, man, and just roll, you know. I mean, they, they hopefully – I mean, the offensive line needs to play well to protect those guys. But you got to play the guys um, – you got to play the guys you got. I mean, I'm excited, too, for what Ryan can do. Again, I think it's, it's a tough matchup for him just because, I mean, again, Bama's just so freaking good. I mean, he is a true freshman. And Nick Saban scheming against a true freshman quarterback is going to be very, very tough. But um, – you know, I mean, I, 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 we need to see them both play. No question. We got to see them both play. I think Dak's too dynamic not get, to not get in the game um, at some degree, whether it's quarterback, receiver, whatever. So, I think you'll see both play. And I, I'd love to see Ryan play well. I mean, if we lose, I'd love to see Ryan play well and just show progress. And, you know, I think he'll be ready to play. I do. I think he'll be ready to play his best game. But uh, it's a tall task. No question. It's a tall task. All right. Let's get in these listener questions on Instagram. And Twitter. Appreciate you guys leaving the questions. Quentin underscore Looper, do we have a chance? So you're saying there's a chance. There's always a chance, man. You never know. Zeth underscore Sutton, who has to play the game of their lives besides Ryan Holinsky in order for us to have a chance? I'd say Javon Kinlaw. I think Javon Kinlaw's got to have the game of his life and make life hell for Tua and that running game. So I'd say Javon Kinlaw's got to be that dude. Ty.C.Rice, hot take. Dak at quarterback taking 40% of snaps this game to keep Bama guessing. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, I don't hate the idea. I think 40% is a lot. I would say like 20%. But, no, I'd love to mix them in. I'd love to see that for sure. Um, let's see. Trevor PSC, how do we stay positive if it starts going south quickly? I mean, dude, if you're a Gamecock fan, you're, you're – you're good at getting through this type of stuff. Just I don't know. Just be positive, man. Just think happy thoughts, right? Um, real Tim Cox, where are you tailgating? Or I'll be all over 
uh, hit me up game day. We can link up, have a brewski, whatever. But I will be literally all over out there bringing the camera out in the wild. Um, I will definitely be making another stop by Memorial Lot. That is confirmed. I mean, I'll be all over fairgrounds, Gamecock Park, everything. So just just DM me, and we'll link. Um, Jacob underscore Scheidel. I don't know if I'm saying that right. In in your opinion, will Holinsky do better than Jake? He says, "quote I think so." And what are the key ways to win? I, I don't know if he's going to do better than Jake. Man, I don't think either guy would probably have a great game. And I, I talked about the keys to victory. I think you really got to slow this game down. Play keep away from Bama. You got to be able to run the football. Um, Dallas underscore O underscore twenty two need to stop the run. Need to stop Tua. Yeah, easier said than done. Um, R Manthe three. What's your drink of choice once we beat Alabama, bro? Champagne. <laughs> That's my drink of choice. Champagne, and then a bunch of beer and whiskey. Trust me, God. If we beat, I, whoa, whoa, bro. I mean, I'm a fan, so I, I mean, I'm pulling for the win either way, but I'm pulling for the win, dude. The vlog would be insane. Insane. The footage would be nuts. Nah, I mean, probably whiskey, beer, champagne, everything, bro. Let's see. Bledsoe1218. Ryan going to shock the world Saturday. That ain't no guess. That's what it's going to be. I love the confidence. I'll say that. Ethan underscore Cook47. How do you think Ryan will perform against one of the best defenses in college ball? I think it'll be a struggle. I do. I mean, I, just being completely – again, you give Nick Saban the ability to game plan for a freshman quarterback. And a lot of people are saying, oh, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence. Dude, Ryan Holinsky ain't got that supporting cast around him. He ain't got Travis Etienne averaging eight yards of carry in the backfield and Justin Ross and T. Higgins and all these other guys making all these crazy plays for him. Um, so, I think it'll be a struggle, honestly. I hope, I hope I'm wrong, but I think it'll be a struggle. Mac Birch underscore, will everyone hold up the number three and those who aren't, will they know what it means? I think, yeah, I think it's being spread like wildfire, man. I, it's awesome to see holding up the three at the start of the third quarter in honor of Ryan Holinsky and mental health awareness. Um, but I think people will know. I think it really is spreading like wildfire, man. Lil underscore Sutter, chances of losing Lloyd if we lose all the big three games, Bama, Georgia, and Clemson. Mm, I mean, Lloyd seems pretty committed to me. I don't know. That, that's just my take. I think Lloyd seems pretty committed. So, I, I think we're safe. I think we're safe with him. Um, but, I mean, you never know, dude. Recruiting's crazy, and I don't try to pretend like I know for certain what a kid's going to do. Like, you, you never know what can change, you know, in a kid's mind. But on-field success has a lot less of an impact – than you think in recruiting. It's a lot more about, like, does the coaching staff fit and does the, the culture and things like that. So, you'd be surprised. Um, two more questions here from Twitter. This is from at GamecocksFootB1. What do you think will be the crucial matchup that gives the Gamecocks a chance in Saturday's game? I mean, individual matchup? I mean, I don't even want to say it. It's just the line of scrimmage, dude. The line of scrimmage will determine this football game, period period, point blank. Um, you got to win at the point of attack. You, nothing, you have no chance at any other level if you don't win at the point of attack, or again, at least hold your own. Uh, one more question at, or not even a question, which seems like more a statement. At Brian25294757, you got to love the Twitter handles. They're awesome. Can we get a headline Sunday that reads, Gamecocks, Willie B, Bama Kryptonite, Go Cox? Yeah, I, I would love that. I, I 
hell, I don't care what the headline is. If we get the W, they can write whatever they want to write. I, I'll do the same. So, I can tell you this. If Bama gets the W, or if we get the W, we beat Alabama on Saturday, it'll be the most hungover podcast recording Sunday night you've ever heard from me. And I'll be, I'll be ecstatic about it. <laughs> so, that does it for the listener questions. Appreciate you guys always being interactive. Uh, really do appreciate that. Obviously, it makes, makes it really, really fun. Um, so, yeah. So, got a fantastic interview lined up. Former Gamecocks offensive lineman, Nashawn Goddard. Nashawn, fantastic conversation. You guys are going to hear that. A great dude. He's over at South Carolina State coaching their offensive line right now. And he's a man that beat Alabama not once, but twice in 2001 and 2004. So, crazy. Awesome to get him on during Bama week. A great interview you guys are about to hear, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. Guys, if you need tickets, there's still time. Go to SeatGeek. Download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $20 off your first purchase. I literally bought my ticket yesterday um, through SeatGeek. Save 20 bucks. It's really that easy. I mean, they've got the tickets there. They rate the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting, so you're never going to get ripped off. You're going to know exactly what you're getting, the bang for your buck, it really makes the ticket buying process super simple. Takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Um, if even if you're not, if you don't need tickets to the South Carolina game, if you're a season ticket holder, you say I already got my tickets. You're going to literally anything else. You're going to see Hootie this week. Obviously, Hootie is for his uh, concert starting Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's a big week in Columbia. You need tickets to that? They've got tickets. Get twenty bucks off. Use that promo code Spurs up. MLB, NHL, NFL, everything, all other sports, concerts, comedy club events, like I just mentioned. It doesn't have to be sports. Anything you can buy tickets to is our friends at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks offensive lineman, Nashawn Goddard. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2001 to 2005. He was named freshman All-SEC and freshman All-American in 2002, preseason All-SEC in 2005. He's also a Super Bowl champion with the Giants in 2008 and the Saints in 2010 and currently serves as the offensive line coach at South Carolina State. I'm very pleased to be joined today by former Gamecocks offensive lineman Nashawn Goddard. Nashawn, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Man, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you for being patient with me and my, my busy schedule right now, preparing for USF this weekend. No, no doubt. No doubt. And we were talking just off air. I know you're in the meat of football season, but I want to go back to the beginning for you, obviously, your South Carolina career. Yep. Uh, talk about your recruitment a little bit, because you're a guy I noticed. You're from Dayton, Ohio, decided to come down south yes, and play ball for Lou Holtz. Just kind of talk about the recruitment, yep. what went into that, and what eventually went into the decision for you to become a Gamecock. Man, absolutely, man. To make a long, long story short, I was committed to Ohio State coming out of high school, right? That's right when John Cooper got fired for Jim Trestle, you know what I mean? And mm. When Jim Trestle came in, he wasn't taking anybody who hadn't passed their SAT or SET, ACT score just yet. So I just so happened I was one of those guys. He made a phone call to me, told me I might want to open up my recruiting. At that time, it was late in the recruiting process. Lou Holtz was there doing a – Coach Holtz was there doing a motivational speech at NCR in Dayton, Ohio. And my head coach in high school was just so happy to be there. And he kind of pitched them to me, and he knew about me. And Coach Dave DeGugliamo, Coach Goose, came and saw me out. And Coach Fitch and those guys saw who I was. And I came down on a visit actually for spring game. Man, spring game was amazing. Like in April in Ohio, it's still like 50 degrees, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I came down here, it was like 80 degrees and palm trees. So it was a no-brainer for me. 
after I saw them, you know, in the spring game, and they happened to beat Ohio State in that Outback Bowl 2000-2001, and then I got here. That was my recruiting man. Then I got here, then we beat them again in the Outback Bowl 2001-2002 season. Mm. So, I mean, it was that, in a nutshell, it was that fast. I passed my test score on the last one, like the May 29th, and I was a, uh, I was a qualifier immediately. And uh, it was probably the best decision of my life, man. So I'm not complaining. I'm just glad they had enough scholarships left for us. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> so we, we talked about just a second ago your former head coach, Lou Holtz. You obviously are someone yep. pretty rare. You play, you play for one Hall of Fame head coach, much less two the way you did. Absolutely. Um, talk, talk about your first, uh, first interactions with Coach Holtz. Man, it was, it was surreal, man, because, you know, Lou Holtz is a legend in the Midwest. Uh, at that time, he was a legend in the Midwest. Now he's a legend, you know, everywhere. He's a celebrity, all that good stuff. So being in those meetings with him every day, getting those million-dollar speeches on a daily basis, it was just unbelievable, man. It's crazy because to this day, we still recite a lot of his speeches and balls and nuggets that he gave us from day to day. And it was just unbelievable to have that real-life celebrity football legend coaching you and talking to you on a day-to-day basis. So um, it was, like I said, it was surreal. It, I was kind of in awe in his presence was just amazing. Like when he walked into the room, how he commanded the room and everybody be quiet, shut up, straighten up, sitting up, adults, kids, everybody. So it was kind of neat, man. It's like, you know, looking at the president walking into a room. So I, it was just a great, great atmosphere for me, great person to be around to kind of model my coaching career over. So I, I won't ask you to do one, obviously, but uh, which of your teammates would you say <laughs> had the best Lou Holtz impersonation? Because I know there's a lot of people out there who oh, do pretty God. good ones. Listen, it, it's between Andy Boyd and Eric Kimmery. <laughs> I'm probably going to have to get a nod to Andy Boyd because Andy Boyd, just, he does all the, the hand motions well, the, the finger pointing, just all that. He does it so well. And, and, and Eric Kimmery got the voice probably down slightly better, but Andy Boyd by far, Eric Kimmery, and then Bennett Swagger. Those three guys are probably your best Lou Holtz impersonators <laughs> by far. Oh, man. Yeah, we, I, I, we've uh, been fortunate enough to have Andy on the show twice now, and I can confirm oh, yeah, that's his, right. that's right. his, uh, his impersonation is pretty spot on and pretty man, hilarious. Listen, and, no he doubt. remembers those stories like we're still like still 18 all over again. And like I said, the way he holds his hands and Coach Lou holds mannerisms, Andy has it down packed, man. So anytime we're together, like some sort of Gamecock reunion or, or we're back for homecoming, and you hear Andy, I mean, everybody's being quiet, <laughs> laughing at Andy the whole time. So it's a pretty good deal there, man. No doubt. So, like I said, you got to South Carolina in 2001, yeah. freshman All-American in 2002. Um, you mentioned playing Ohio State, obviously. Gamecocks got their second straight Outback Bowl victory over Ohio State, which, again, you were committed there. Yeah. It was your hometown school. Just talk about kind of what that meant for you. Because Was it mixed emotions? Was it kind of, you know, a chip on your Not shoulder against those guys? What was uh, what kind of the thought process? It wasn't any mixed emotions. At that point, I hated those guys. So, <laughs> it was pretty much a chip on my shoulder. And I think I hugged Ryan so, so for about 10 minutes after the game because Ryan Brewer, as y'all remember, he had an amazing – he had amazing two Outback Bowls, but he had an amazing game that game, scored one of the uh, the game-winning touchdowns or the game-clinching touchdowns, so to speak. Mm. And I, I was just so happy, man. Like, I had several rings, and, and that Outback Bowl ring is one of the rings I don't even bother, like, I want that to stay beautifully gold and diamonds. <laughs> I want it to stay awesome. So, I mean, it was a great feeling, man. A lot of those guys on that team were my friends, still are my friends, and it was kind of great to be able to kind of, you know what I'm saying, just have that little that that, that little nugget over them that, hey, yeah, we, we beat y'all. But, you know, it's kind of 
bittersweet because that next year they won the national championship. Yeah, crazy. But uh, it was good to always have that bragging rights over them. So anytime I'm home, I tell them like, "Hey, I'm I'm one and zero against Ohio State." You know. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. So, so I, I was just thinking back. It's funny because, of course, we're talking. It's Bama week for South Carolina. And I honestly yep. forgot yep. this. You were not only on one team that beat Bama, but you were on two teams because that 2001 team. Right. Yeah, that was the there first you go with ever. Rodney Trafford in the back of the end Yeah, zone, yeah. First ever win for yeah. South Carolina over Alabama. Obviously, with Rod Trafford catching the game-winning pass from Phil yep. Petty. But uh, just kind of talk about your memories from that one because, again, you know, your first year yeah. at South Carolina, you're playing a team. You know, Alabama obviously then wasn't what they are now, but still a historic yeah, program yeah. with a lot of tradition. And, I mean, just talk about exactly. your memories from that game because that was a crazy back-and-forth affair. Well, listen, that game was amazing because that just so happened to be my first game dressing out at home. Like, I was a freshman, and, you know, they were trying to decide if you was on a red shirt or not. And that was back when you could play X amount of snaps before you decided to red shirt. So, mm -hmm. anyway, that was my first game dressing out. Bama was ranked top 20 that year. And like you say, their tradition precedes itself. They're still a, a really dope team or whatever. So the back and forth, back and forth, just really seeing the, the legend of Phil Petty growing. And, and Rod Trapper, one of those dudes who didn't get the credit he deserved, but was a hard-nosed guy, blue-collar guy, who just worked his tail off every day, catching a big-time touchdown in the end zone. And so back then, it was a tackle. We were a group. The tackles and tight ends were a group, a position group with the Coach Gouge. So his touchdown was like our touchdown, you know what I'm saying? So it was just awesome seeing him catch that ball, score in the end zone. And all I remember, that was probably one of the last times we uh, we uh, tore the goalposts down. Mm. And, and you're like five points of people was like cutting up the goalposts, putting it in the bars, <laughs> putting it in sharkies. It was like amazing for that to be like one of my first collegiate games and that ending like that and, and, and rushing the field and, and pulling down the goalposts. So – that, that was like, yo, welcome to college football moment for me. And it was just amazing, man. And I was just looking forward to college football from, from that point on, man. Yeah, and I was, it's funny. I was actually telling Rod Trafford that I, I forget which bar it is, but I was in a bar in Five Points, and there's still a piece yeah. of the, the uh, goalpost. That's Sharkies, it's like man. Signed, yeah, yeah, it's signed. And, uh... That is Sharkies, man. Upstairs, <laughs> it was up there. And that was like our spot because we always looked up there and saw that piece of the goalpost. And, and you, I mean, you go back to that day, man. The nostalgia yeah. all over again, and <clears throat> and you go back to those memories, and you remember that night, which obviously was a great night. You know, I'll tell you about it later on, but <laughs> but you know that was a great night right there. No doubt. So your your career, Nishan, you like I said earlier, you earned freshman All American honors, freshman yep. All SEC in two thousand two, and you're a guy I noticed. I mean, you played center, guard, tackle. You were you were all over the offensive line. Um, I guess I'll ask yeah. you first, what clicked for you in that 2002 season that led you to have such a good year to pick up those honors? Man, what clicked for me is I had a lot of good veteran help, a lot of good veteran support, because I was a freshman starting with a group of seniors. So my right guard is Cedric Williams, who still to this day is one of the most amazing guys I've ever been around. He was my right guard. He used to coach at Georgia State, and, and I think he's helping out with the Philadelphia Eagles right now. My left guard was Shane Hall. Shane Hall was a tough son of a gun who ended up going to the Seattle Seahawks playing a little ball as an unrestricted free agent. And if you remember, my left tackle, probably the be one of the best left uh, – probably one of the best offensive linemen in South Carolina history is Travell Ward. Mm -hmm. So, between those three guys, man, I was in good, good hands, man. And uh, they made sure they helped me out on the field, instilled that confidence in me, let me know I could do it. Um, they helped me make my mic declarations, mic calls. All I was focused on was sending back a good snap. 
because we were in shotgun pretty much every every play or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those guys helped me tremendously. Coach Gooch helping me out. The coaches put me in a good position that the, the one thing about a good coach is you got to make sure you're not giving someone more than they can handle. And I think they did a good job of putting me in the right place, not overdoing it for me, and just letting me be a good athletic young offensive lineman. You know what I'm saying? And so having a good support staff next to me, uh, me being a pretty good athlete myself, I think it all have a really, really good freshman year, man. No doubt. I, I want to ask you some kind of a funny question. How often do you see people talking about offensive line play that really just have no clue? Because I feel like offensive line play is one of those things where you can you really can't break it down in its entirety unless you played the yeah. position and know the ins and outs of it. I mean, is it kind of funny? Because, like, you know, even I'll talk offensive line, but I know for a – like, that's just one of those things that it's – if you haven't played the position or if you're not a coach and don't know, like, like I said, the yeah. ins and outs of it, like, you – there's it's so there's so much that goes into it like it's so complex. Man, man, you're absolutely right. And like you said, sometimes I mean I'm a really good humble person. So when I hear it, I just kind of smile in my head and don't <laughs> say anything. But you're absolutely right. It's kind of it's not annoying, but it's kind of weird that people just don't see that that's not the offensive line fault or that's not his job or something like that. Like one of the guys that really killed me, and I know I'm gonna get killed for saying this, but Chris Collinsworth, he kills me because <laughs> of the things he say. And I'm like, dude, that's not right. Like, just stick to quarterbacks and wide receivers. <laughs> but whenever you see somebody like Sean O'Hara or, or Jeff Saturday talking about offensive line play, or even Damian Woody is on TV now, those guys really know the ins and outs of offensive line play, and you're really getting educated while you're listening to them commentate. You know what I'm saying? So when you hear guys not talk about it, you just kind of shake your head and be like, dude, just leave us alone. Because you don't care about us until we get offside penalty <laughs> or, or own penalty. That's the only time anybody yeah. care about us, right? The unsung so, heroes. I mean, you're absolutely yeah. right. The unsung yeah. heroes. Yeah. It's so funny because I guess my wife been with me so long. She knows when it's our fault and when it's not our fault. And I just get so happy with her. Like, yeah, baby, <laughs> that was that was the running back with a tight end giving up that sack. That wasn't us. We slid to the right place. So, <laughs> you're absolutely right, man. I just kind of shake my head and, and I just laugh with the, laugh with and cry at the same time. So. No doubt. So I'm I'm curious, and Sean, when you were in college, obviously, you know, you were fortunate enough to get an NFL career, get a couple Super Bowl rings. Who was the guy yeah. that you tried to model your game after that was in the NFL when you were in college, or maybe even still to this day? Was well, who was that guy for you that you uh, kind of looked up to or wanted to model your game after? Man, well, you know what? I was very blessed and fortunate to have him on my team and in the NFL while I was in college. So Travell Warren was my guy. Like, like he was my friend in real life, but in my mind. He was like my best friend, you feel me? So, like, I modeled my my, my, my playing career off of him and my off-the-field off of him because Travell, great guy, never got in trouble, did things the right way, Christian guy, married, children, the whole nine, made it to the NFL, played 11, 12 years, and did everything the right way, unbelievable Gamecock. So he was my guy that – he was tangible for me. He was an NFL guy, All-American, that I could call on the phone and say, hey, bro, can I pick your brain about offensive line play? So, Travell Warren was my guy. And then when I made it to the NFL, his butt was still in the NFL, so I knew I could call him and ask him any kind of tips or anything. And to this day, I call him with any kind of issue, any kind of uh, worry, so concerns. So, man, that was my guy. He, he was my guy on my team, my guy in the NFL. He's always been that dude for me. So, it would definitely be Travell Warren. No doubt. So, like I mentioned earlier, obviously it's Bama week. I want to talk about that 2004 game because we, you know it's funny. Absolutely. We were we were talking off the air a little bit, and I mean, it, you're kind of you have a point that a lot of people forget that game actually happened for what that that 04 season. Yeah. I feel like it was just a weird season. You know, it was sort of the 
the transition yeah, before anyway. Steve Spurrier. Yeah, yeah, just kind of a weird season yeah. all around, and you know the brawl happened. Whatever that that Bama game, you you guys go into Tuscaloosa, you know, lay the smackdown on Alabama, which again, Alabama then and now and now is two different yeah. things, obviously. But uh, no, you guys right. lay the smackdown twenty to three final. Obviously, we posted some highlights and actually posted an article on our website about that game uh, specifically. I know that. The offensive line played really well. There was a quarterback switch in that yeah. game. Savelle Newton kind of went off in that game. Talk about just kind of your memories from that Alabama game and I guess how satisfying it was to see their fans dipping out with about 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Man, first of all, big shout-out to you guys because I literally just looked at your IG post with the video clip of, uh, of Savelle scoring like a 13-yard touchdown or something <laughs> like that. And that play right there represents what that game was about. If you go back and look at that play, look at that play, he was untouched. Like, we did such a good job as the offensive line and tight ends blocking that game, kind of in that 12 personnel, 11 personnel deal, and we're blocking our tails off. And so that year was actually a pretty good year for Gamecock. We just got into that stupid brawl and couldn't go to a bowl game. But we were bowl eligible going on a good year or whatever. But, man, that game was unbelievable because we – that was my first time at Bryant-Denny Stadium or whatever – and it was just as beautiful as it is now. It was actually in construction to look the way it looks now. But, um, I mean, we kicked their butt, man, like just straight-up physical. That We did to them what Alabama usually do to other teams, <laughs> right? Like we were, we were in double tight, tight end formation, just running the ball up and down the field. And like you said, I don't think they prepared for Savelle, the greatness of Savelle Newton. Like Savelle came in there, and like you said, he got off. We made the uh, – Matt Thomas, uh, Troy Williamson was our wide receivers. They made – the right catches at the right time. Um, I think we had a big special teams play that game. And uh, everything was just clicking for us, special teams, offense, defense. Obviously, the defense had to play well if they only had three points. But like you said, the one thing that always resonated with me was seeing that crowd leave around fourth <laughs> quarter after that last touchdown. Because, I mean, they sit like close to 100 grand, you know, 100,000. Mm -hmm. And that thing silent and quiet. It was a really good feeling for me, man, because – I tell people a lot of times, like, man, in Carolina, I got the really good feeling to beat Alabama at home, Arkansas at home, Tennessee at home. Like, that's a good feeling when you beat them at their homes. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> that's a really good feeling to see their crowd quiet or leaving early. So, that game, like you said, man, for some reason, that's like a, a forgotten game. But believe me, me and the guys who I play offensive line with, uh, uh, John Strickland, Chris White, Jamari Levy, I think that was Jonathan Austin and myself. We remember that game like it was yesterday, bro. So, I mean, that, I, I, I love that game because I play with a lot of Alabama guys in the NFL, and that's the first game I bring up. Like, yo, <laughs> I ain't lost to Alabama in college. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm 2-0 against y'all, so I don't care about all these rings these new guys winning. I know what I did against y'all, you know. So, bragging rights is forever, man. No doubt. So that 04 season obviously ended with Lou Holtz uh, deciding to retire. Talk about kind of what right. was going through your head when you find out that Steve Spurrier got the job. Well, well, that wasn't the issue. I was a little sad because Lou Holtz was leaving because mm. you got to remember, man, anybody who come into your household, your living room, tell your parents on the program, that day they become family. When you commit to the school, that, that staff, everybody become family. So it's almost like seeing a family member leave, you know what I mean? Mm. Kind of a bittersweet deal. So, you know, kind of sad, but I was more sad as the way we sent him out on his last college game, like the brawl, the fight, the black eye, you know, on his record, stuff like mm -hmm. that. That's what I was more d disappointed about, so to speak. But I had a great time, love everything he taught me, 
Uh, mm-hmm. Love everything he did for me and is still doing for me and my coaching career and my family. Um, but like I said in an interview, man, when we got Steve Spurrier, it was a good thing. It was like going from J-Lo to Holly Berry. Like, it's not <laughs> like we're going to get a bad person. We're going to get probably arguably at the time the best coach who's ever coached at the SEC level at that time, you know, before Nick Saban shattered all these records. So, uh, Spurrier was that dude. He was that guy coming from the Redskins, passing offense, something we hadn't had at that time. I mean, it was a great opportunity, and it ended up being a, a great decision, right? I mean, he won three or four 11-win seasons. Mm-hmm. Even that year he came, we were bowl eligible immediately. We beat Arkansas, beat Tennessee for the first time in like 50 years, and Florida for <laughs> the first time in like 50 years. So he came and brought instant excitement to, to, to Carolina football, man, his, his first year. So it was amazing to be able to coach under – I mean, to be under play under – two coaching legends, you know what I'm saying? For sure. Yeah, and I was actually reading an interview you did, and you were talking about that 2005 season, obviously Spurrier's first year. And, again, it's it's crazy yeah. when you think about your career. You got to play for two Hall of Fame coaches. But that 05 season, obviously, there was a ton of hype, right. ton of optimism because of the Spurrier effect. And you guys were able to beat Florida, win at Tennessee, yeah. beat Arkansas. Um, some huge wins, some firsts for the program. I mean, just, just talk about kind of that 05 season in general. I mean, just – you know, because I, I think he came in, the cupboard was not bare. I mean, there was talent on that football team, no doubt, as, as was evident right. in 2005. But uh, just talk about that 2005 season. You know, obviously your final year at Carolina, how special that was for you to, again, you know, be able to accomplish so many firsts in your last year. Man, very, very special. I think we were like the unsung heroes of the Spurrier era because, I mean, we got it going, man. We had a first-round draft pick in Justin Joseph. Cole Simpson should have been a first-round draft pick. I think he ended up going like third round or something, but Cole had probably the most amazing season for a defensive uh, player in the SEC probably since David Pollock. But um, it was a special season, man. Like you said, for us to beat Tennessee and Florida for the first time, that that's always going to be dear to my heart because I can remember the winding ticks of those moments and Josh Brown kicking the game with a field goal against Tennessee. And we really kind of beat Florida kind of handedly mm-hmm. and uh, beating Arkansas, you know, holding them off because they had an amazing team. You know, that's when they had Jeremy McFadden, Felix Jones, Peyton Hillis, and Matt Jones, the quarterback. So they had a four or five first-rounders on that team that we kicked their butts. But it was an amazing season. I think the one thing I can always say about Spurs, he instilled that confidence in us. Because I think Lou Holtz and those, that, that kind of staff was kind of like, hey, let's hang in there to the fourth quarter and see what happens. But when Spurs came, it was like, yo, we're going to kick their butt, and I got the plays to show you how to do it. You guys, just, you office linemen, just hold them off for a little bit, block it like punt, and I'm going to get it in the end zone. So that was kind of like our running joke there. Like, hey, man, let's give, let's give Spurrier and Blake Mitchell some time, and we're going to kick some butt, and that's what we tried to do every game. You know what I'm saying? So that year was it, it's still amazing to me. I still love that year. That's one of my favorite years, probably besides my freshman year beating Ohio State. That's probably the, the next best year to me because, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, like, we won seven games. We should have won eight because we were up on Missouri mm-hmm. in, the, in the Independence Bowl like 21 to zero and, and before Brad Smith woke up. But that was also the year that Savelle got hurt. He tore yeah. Achilles, scoring a freaking touchdown. That lets you know how good that dude was. He's scoring a touchdown and tore his Achilles. But um, if we had a, been able to keep him the whole season, man, who knows where, where that season would have went to, man. Because I think we only lost to Clemson by, like, seven points. It was a yeah, one-touchdown scoring game, I think. Yeah, yeah close game. And, and I'm telling you, the playmaking ability of Savelle Newton having that dynamic in the backfield or 
quarterback or wide receiver, wherever the heck he would have played, we, we would have more points to score an offense. But love that season. Wish he could have ended a little bit better. But I'm telling you, that's the season that helps recruit Marcus Latimer's and, and Jadavian Clowney's of the future and, and Gilmore. Because you see those games and you remember, hey, I could be the guy that laid his brick on this university and this history and this foundation. No doubt. So I want to talk about that 05 Florida game. Obviously, that was the first win for South Carolina over Florida yeah. in forever. And obviously, Spurrier's first yeah. game against his old team. I remember a quote he had after that game. I think it was after that specific game that said, I didn't look over at the other sideline very much. You know, like, how, how was that right. week for him? I mean, could you, I mean, I'm sure you guys knew how big of a deal it was. But could you tell, was there anything different about Spurrier that week that, you know, kind of let you guys know this isn't just another game for him? Man, you know what? I don't know if I saw any difference in him. I think we wanted to win that game for him. You know what I mean? Like, he's such an even-keeled guy. I don't think he shows much emotion. And y'all see that in all the press clippings. But I think we wanted it for him. Like, we wanted them to know that, hey, he's not going to a second-class program. He's going to lift this program to the, to the roof. You know what I'm saying? So, I think we were really trying to win it for him. I think it was more focused that week on our part. And he saw that. And he was like, oh, these dudes are ready to go. You know what I mean? Mm. And it's kind of that sense of security from a coach like, hey, my guys are ready to go to battle. They're clicking at practice. There's no lollygagging. There's no, no bullcrapping around. They're completing passes. The offensive line is finishing five yards after every play. Uh, the defense is getting after it after the ball. So I think he saw that we were locked in that week. Therefore, he was locked in as well. And if you look at that game, our defense did some amazing things. Mm. And on offense, we were clicking on the plays that you ordinarily don't click on. Like, I remember a play where Sidney Rice is running a route. He's running a post route. The quarterback throws the ball behind him. He turns in, like, mid stride and still catches the ball. And I think the whole world was like, who the heck is number four? And I think that's kind of – that kind of started the greatness of Sidney Rice right there. And then he had another play where he caught, like, a 10-yard hitch, and he breaks the tackle and runs, like, another 40, and he gets knocked out on, like, the three-yard line. So – you can see that the players almost wanted it more than Spurrier. Mm -hmm. And it was to the point where after we were up by so much, we was like, oh, snap. We're going to kick these this team butt. Like, we're better than these dudes. And, um, like, I just remember that game because I was locked in, man. Like, I wanted to beat them dudes. It was my last go around. Every year it seemed like Florida just kicked our tails. And that was our, our opportunity. And we seized the moment, man. No doubt. What what was your favorite uh, – obviously, you were part of that Spurrier offense. What was your favorite, like, Spurrierism or thing he would say to you guys or you specifically? Because, I mean, I, I've definitely heard heard different stories about how ruthless Spurrier could be, you know, in the film room or so at practice or whatever. Dog. Hey, man, listen, he was just so sarcastic. So, you know, in the meeting room after the game, we watched film together. Spurrier's got the uh, the remote control. He's talking to us. So, I will never forget this. And he's my best friend, so I can say this. Jabari Levy at the time was supposed to go like second round in the draft. He was like a top offensive tackle, right? And he got beat by somebody, Tennessee guy. Tennessee guy beat him around the corner and beat him and got a sack in the end zone, whatever, whatever. And he turned around and looked at Jabari like, hell, aren't you supposed to go second round? Hell, if you're supposed to go second round, this guy got to go first round the way he's kicking your ass. And man, when I said the whole team was dying laughing, it was one of the funniest, not funniest moments of my life, dog. And I just glad, I'm just glad the joke wasn't on me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because it was on somebody else, so you could kind of laugh. But right. the way he said, like, yeah, yeah, if you're supposed to go second round, that guy got to go first round the way he's kicking your butt. 
And, man, I mean, we just died laughing. And it was just kind of the running joke with Jabari the rest of the year, like, hey, hey, you better not lose or, or that guy's going to go first round on you. Like, Gosh. it was funny, man. Like I said, that Jabari's one of my good friends, so I know he's okay with me telling that story. But that I'd never forget that, man, because you just <laughs> never heard the coach just kind of keep it 100 with a player like that. Like, hey, you better get your stuff together, man. Wow, that, that, that is typical Spurrier, no doubt. Yeah, oh, no uh, doubt. So I, I'm going to get to your NFL career just a second, but when you, you look back on your That's South cool. Carolina career, what was – was there a – you know, maybe it is that Florida game, but was there a specific game or maybe a specific memory for you that when you think back now stands out amongst the others? Man, it's going to seem small to y'all, but it's huge to me. So my sophomore year, we played Kentucky at Kentucky. And y'all know, man, back in the day, all the Kentucky games were close. But we, Carolina, we always seemed to pull it out. You know what I mean? But it was special for me because I'm one of the first, you know, men in my family to graduate from college, to go to college and play pro ball and play college ball, any ball, right? So at the Kentucky game, I'm from Dayton, Ohio. We're only like an hour and 25 minutes from Lexington, Kentucky. Man, when I tell you I had probably about 100 people there <laughs> and all my teammates gave me their tickets. So – you know, we usually get four tickets to the away games, whatever, whatever. They gave me all their tickets. I had like 100 people there. I think Ryan probably had like 70. Like me and Ryan had like 170 people there, our, <laughs> you know, by ourselves. So mm. it was just unbelievable. My whole hometown was there. My, 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 my high school, my high school coaches, peewee coaches, basketball coaches, mom, dad, stepdad, all my dads, everybody was there. And, guys, man, I think I made one of the best game-winning blocks. And Ryan Brewer scored the game-winning touchdown. So, it was like the two Ohio boys with all the family members there had, like, two of the best plays in the game, man. And it was just a great, unbelievable feeling just to be with my family, hugging them all after the game, and my teammates just hugging my mom after the game. It, that was the most – that was the best feeling that was dear to my heart because my family, we just couldn't – they couldn't afford to come to a lot of my games in Carolina. So the Kentucky and Tennessee game were the only games that I used to get my get to see my family away, and um and so it was just really dear to my heart, uh, kind of an emotional moment for myself, just just having that win, playing very well in front of my hometown, home crowd at Kentucky, and, and even though Kentucky isn't, isn't the team that you want to be all the time, at that moment it was big for me. So that Kentucky game, of course, the Florida beating Florida at uh, beating Florida beating Tennessee at Tennessee beating Arkansas, Arkansas, beating Alabama and Alabama, in that order is probably my favorite five games. Mm, that's awesome. No, so you're, uh, you obviously, you know, you were a guy that did have a good NFL career. You signed with the Giants out of college as a free agent. And yeah. obviously, you know, winning the Super Bowl for, uh, you know, an organization is the ultimate prize. And you were lucky enough to do it twice uh, on that Giants right, team right. in 2008 that took down Tom Brady and then that Saints team in 2010 with Drew Brees and all those guys. Um, I guess just when you look back and reflect on your NFL career, I mean, I, I would imagine you've got to be pretty satisfied with a career that includes two Super Bowl rings. Man, I am thrilled. I am blessed. I am privileged. I am thankful for my NFL career. I probably would say no because, you know, just as an athlete and a competitor, I'm never satisfied, so mm -hmm. to speak. Uh, but, man, just, just, just tickled, thrilled, pleased. Uh, blessed. I'm, I'm appreciative of everything I did in, in the NFL and everything I was able to accomplish and everyone that helped me accomplish my goals. I mean, uh, to, to win a Super Bowl with the Giants, we celebrated our 10-year reunion like a year or two ago or whatever. It was amazing to see those guys again. I'm actually celebrating my 10-year reunion this year with the New Orleans Saints uh, December 16th on Monday Night Football. 
So, nice. I mean, it was just unbelievable. You're right. Unbelievable. Another surreal moment in my life. And, and that just lets you know how good God is, man. Like, I came from Dayton, Ohio. I mean, it, it sounds cliche, like cliche-ish now because LeBron said it, but I wasn't supposed to be here, man. I came from nothing. Lou Holtz found me, got to South Carolina, did a pretty good job there, did a good enough job to go to the NFL. I, I won uh, Super Bowls in the NFL. Luckily, went to CFL, won a great cup for the Calgary Stampeders. And I, I met my beautiful wife, moved back to South Carolina, got a job at Newberry College. My first year at Newberry College, we win our conference championship at Newberry. <laughs> and so now I'm here trying to bring the magic to South Carolina State. And, 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 and God's just been too good to me, man. I can't complain at all. And I just want to spread the love. And, and that's why I'm coaching, man. I, I didn't want to be a teacher, so to speak, but I wanted to be a coach so I could still spread the love and, and, and coach young men and help young men be great, great young men, uh, great men one day. So um, NFL was amazing, man. Great experience. Loved every moment of it. And when you talk about playing for two coaching legends in college, heck, I probably played for another two or three in the NFL. Mm. One day, Sean Payton to be in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Holmgren to be in the Hall of Fame. And, um, and and those guys will probably be in the Hall of Fame. And just to be able to get that experience, that coaching experience under those guys, it's all, uh, it's all coming up and showing now as I'm a coach in the collegiate level now. So it's unbelievable, man. Um, having two rings, I, I, I just love them. Uh, they're like trophies now, man. I don't even wear them no more. They're kind of <laughs> in my trophy case. Uh, I let my son take one to um, show and tell one day. And, and it was pretty dope, man. So I, I, I let my kids wear them. <laughs> no doubt. So I, I, I'm kind of curious, you know, obviously the competition steps up big time when you go from college to the NFL. What was sort of your welcome to the NFL moment? Was there a guy you faced? Was it a team you faced? Yeah. Like what was that welcome to the NFL moment for you? Man, it's crazy because playing in the, in, the, in the SEC, it prepared me for the NFL. A lot of those guys – I played against in the SEC. I played against them in the NFL. Uh, I think my walk in the, the, the NFL moment was just practice, man. Like, I was, I was on the scout team, obviously. I'm on the second team. So, I'm blocking Michael Strahan every day. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Like, this dude is not only all pro, all this. He's a freaking Hall of Famer in the making, right? So, I'm going against him every day, and it's, like, crazy. So, his backup is OCMER. He's a pro bowler, all this, all that. His backup. It's Justin Tuck. I'm like, dude, I'm not getting a break here. <laughs> like, everybody I'm going against is, is, is freaking amazing. And I'm going – I'm like – it's like I'm going 100% every rep against the best of the best of the best D-linemen at the time in the NFL. So, every day was like, buckle up your chin strap, dude. Because in college, you can always count on going against a, a walk-on or somebody who's not as good or, you right. know, a, a bench warmer or something. But in the pros – Ain't no walk-ons. Ain't no sorry guys. It's all it's all all Americans and first rounders and Hall of Famers all over the place. So it, that was my like welcome to NFL moment. Like, hey, you're not getting a break. They're gonna come after your tail every play. Buckle up and get ready. So that's how it was for me at the New York Giants, man. No doubt. So I do want to talk about your coaching career because, like you said, you actually coached at Newberry yeah. or at South Carolina State now as the offensive line coach. Just. Uh, I mean, just kind of really just talk about how that's going for you. I mean, obviously getting into coaching, it's great to see former Gamecocks that are with different teams that, you know, are doing something like that. But just kind of talk about right now, you're at South Carolina State. Obviously, we're in the middle of the season. How are things going? And uh, uh, it, it, would you say, would you want to be a head coach someday, I guess I'll say? Right. Well, let me give a big shout-out to my boy, Bennett Swagger. As soon as I retired from Canada, 
uh, opening came up in Newberry. Cedric Williams had just left for Georgia State, and Bennett Swagger helped me get into this profession, and I really appreciate him, and I appreciate that nugget there. And so, you know, we did a good job in Newberry to the point where we got promoted, and we got the job at South Carolina State. So South Carolina State, we had a rough year last year. We went five and six, but we had 16 returning starters coming back from that team, and now they're showing up. Now they're older. Now they're more experienced. So this year right now, man, we're starting off pretty darn good. We upset at number eight, Wofford, in our first game. And in our second game, we played uh, Lane College. Uh, we handled them pretty well. So now we're walking into South Florida. South Florida has two of our old coaches, Charlie Strong. He was our defense coordinator when I was in South Carolina. And our strength coach, uh, uh, Pat Moore. So it's going pretty well right now. Uh, never thought I would be a coach. But like I said, I always like to help young men. And I figured this would be a way that I could help guide young men to Christ. And, and to prosperity, you know what I mean, just in their walk with life, all right? So it's been pretty good. Uh, I think the, the, the flip side of this is being a coach is watching all the film, you know what I mean? So I'm on the flip side where I'm watching film, I'm preparing, I'm getting the preparation ready for my guys, and, and I'm trying to help. Um, as far as the head coach, I would like to feel like I could be a head coach one day, but I know it's so much I still need to learn, and I'm willing to take those steps, you know, uh, Joel and B talk about investing in the process. Right now, that's what I think I'm doing. I'm investing in the process. I'm trying to learn as much as I can from people like uh, Coach Pugh or Coach Todd Knight back when I was at Newberry and any other head coach that I come about. Uh, I try to do things that my coaches did to me that I like, and I try not to do the things that my coaches did to me that I didn't like. So I'm trying to be the best coach that I can be in that, uh, in that aspect of it. But uh, I think the one thing about coaches – is you got to have the gift, not only the gift of gab, but the gift of storytelling. Uh, the, the thing about being a good coach is, man, they, they're able to motivate their guys, tell stories, tell their background life, and wrap it all up into a point to where it's motivating you to be a better person or a better player for that day. So that's the one thing I'm doing by reading books, um, listening to guys, writing down quotes and poems and speeches, and, and, and that's my motivation aspect of coaching that i got to improve on along with improving on my knowledge of the game. For sure. So I want to talk about this South Carolina program and specifically the game Saturday. Nishan Gamecocks obviously taking on Absolutely. Alabama, 330 kick. Um, I feel like there's been a million replays of the 2010 game and people reminiscing on that one, which, I mean, it was obviously a very special game. South Carolina beating the number one ranked team in the country. But I want to ask you more specifically, you know, you being a former player, being a coach, you know, obviously Bama is a big favorite in this game coming up Saturday. What do you tell your guys, you know, if you're in that locker room for South Carolina or what the coaches are saying, like what do you tell your guys going into a game where you know you're the underdog, but obviously you're looking to pull the upset? I mean, what, what, what is the message in the locker room to those guys? Number one, let's have a good game plan. Whatever our plan is, let's execute our game plan. Number two, stay focused. because There's going to be a lot of uh, talking all around the place. There's going to be the crowd. There's going to be a lot of, you know, Nick saving this, Nick saving that. Don't worry about that. Stay focused. And number three, empty the tank. Too many times, you know, guys try to leave something in the tank for the second quarter or for the fourth quarter. Hey, man, these type of games, you got to empty the tank. And, and I give that same advice to the coaches, man. We can't save certain plays for the next game or save them for Clemson or save trick plays for whoever else. Empty the tank. You know what I'm saying? You don't go in a war saying, I'm going to save these three or four bullets. Nah, you empty in the clip because you're trying to go back home to your mom, you know, to your wife and your kids, right? So empty mm -hmm. the tank and go all out, man. When we did those things, when we, you know, you could call them upset, when we beat Florida, Tennessee, or any upset I've ever been a part of, we believed in our plan. 
We stay focused on our plan and focused on the game, and we empty the tank, man. Don't leave nothing for after the game. After the game, you should be sore. After the game, your fingers should hurt. Your ankle should be swollen. Your, your, every, your head, you should have a headache. Like, that's all emptying the tank. And what you do, you get into the training room, you fix it, you take an Advil, and you get ready to do it the next week. You know what I mean? So my advice to them guys is don't not run a play because it's Alabama. Do the same thing you did against Charleston Southern, knowing that those guys are going to be slightly better than Charleston Southern, <laughs> but the same office approach and get after their tails, man. I think we need to clip that and send that over to the team. We got we got to get that out there some some way to them. Get man, that play, no doubt, get that play hey, in the locker room. <laughs> man, you got it, man. You got you got the okay for me because I mean, if I ever get an opportunity to talk to them, that'd be my message. Because guess what? That's my message to my offensive lineman now. Mm. We're going into a battle this weekend that we're probably not supposed to win, but I can't go to the locker room and tell my guys that. I got to tell them what they want to hear and what they need to hear and what I believe that we can do. And I think we can beat, you know, any team we play against if we follow our plan, stay focused, and empty the same. No doubt. Well, I know we're all looking forward to it. Obviously, going to be a hectic – either way, it's going to be pandemonium at Williams-Brice Stadium, like you said. Uh, I think it was Savelle actually put up on his story. You know, they, they put the, they wear the same pads we do, same helmets. So, let's, let's just, yeah. you know, ball, let, let the ball decide. So, we're all looking forward to it. And, Sean, appreciate you taking the time, man. It was a pleasure to have you on. Would, uh, would love to have you back on, talk some ball, and uh, – talk Gamecocks obviously but best best of luck to you this season as well obviously with South Carolina State um we'll definitely be keeping an eye on how you guys are doing this year in that offensive line as well man thank you so much man I really appreciate you and thank you for your patience getting me on the line I like to say a big shout out to South Carolina good luck and definitely shout out to my team South Carolina State Bulldogs appreciate it man you guys have a good 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 show good year good everything no doubt. Appreciate it, man. So, for, for, for Nishan Goddard, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time with another episode of the Spurs episode. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.